Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Just the Good Stuff. This is your co-host, Rachel Mansfield, and today's episode is with my ultimate girl crush, Ellie Truesdale. Now, if you are in the venture space or have a food and beverage CPG brand, it's very likely that you know Ellie. And even if you don't know Ellie, you do, because she is the reason why so many of our favorite brands like Purely Elizabeth and You Kitchen are found in Whole Foods, and soon you'll learn why. Ellie Truesdale is the founder and managing partner of New Fair Partners, a venture capital fund centered on the modern eater and evolving American palate. As global director of local brands and product innovation at Whole Foods Market, talk about a dream job, oh my God. For nearly a decade, Ellie played a pivotal role in driving the growth of the natural and organic food industry, propelling some of today's most iconic consumer brands. Ellie is also the co-founder of Made by Nacho, a premium pet food company with chef Bobby Flay. She was a partner at Venture Fund Almanac before founding New Fair. Ellie holds a BA in media studies from the University of Virginia, and she sits on the boards of Made by Nacho, Foxtrot, Tacombi, and Wellness in the Schools. Ellie is someone I have been admiring for quite some time. The first time we chatted on Zoom, I had butterflies in my stomach. I was so nervous to chat with her. She is such a kick-ass businesswoman. She knows her stuff, and I really look up to her and her career. Since connecting last year, we have been working closely together in the venture space, and I really enjoy hearing her insights. We're also both investors in a few brands like Midday Squares and Omsum, to name a few. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Ellie, and I cannot wait to hear what you think of this episode. Let us know if you're listening and any thoughts that you may have. I know you guys are going to love this one. I am over the top excited to share today's podcast sponsor with you because it is something I consume every single day and I recommend it to so many of my friends. Today's episode is brought to you by Element. Element is an electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't need, like sugar, which is in so many of these electrolyte mixes. Element contains science-backed electrolyte ratio, which is why it really works. It has 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and a 60 milligrams of magnesium. You know my obsession with magnesium. There's no junk, no sugar, no coloring, no artificial anything like so many of these other electrolyte mixes out there. I started drinking this while I was pregnant for hydration, and Jordan also got hooked on it too. Now I have it daily for nursing, and I swear by it. My personal favorite flavors are the watermelon, which tastes like a Jolly Rancher, orange, and the citrus, but you can't go wrong with really any. It's totally risk-free to try it, and if you don't like it, you could share it with a friend, and they'll give you your money back, no questions asked. Plus, anyone listening to this can get a free sample pack with your purchase with my link. DrinkLMNT.com slash Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L. This is a great way for you to try all the flavors and it comes with one of each. So you can try everything and see what your favorites are too. They also have an unflavored one if flavored beverages aren't your thing. This offer is exclusive for my community, so you won't find this available anywhere else. Let me know if you try it and what your favorite flavors are. And again, the link is drink, D-R-I-N-K, element, L-M-N-T dot com slash Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L. And I'm linking to everything in the show notes too, to make it even easier. Ellie, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. We are very excited to chat with you. And why don't we kick it off with a little bit about your background and who you are? Sure. Thank you guys for having me. Excited to be here. So I have been in the natural foods industry for 15 years, my whole career. And I really, you know, sort of made a little bit of a name for myself in um, part of that journey. I was 10 years 
Whole Foods and oversaw the local brands and product innovation program um, for almost a decade, which it was, you know, sort of the most fun job, but also at the best time I could have imagined. That was 2008 to 2017, which um, really was when the natural consumer food movement really took off. And we, um, we at Whole Foods sort of were partially responsible for that. We were building an infrastructure and a platform that allowed all these young brands to grow sort of incrementally and sustainably, we can talk about that. But I, my whole job was to basically find up and coming brands, work with farms, fisheries, livestock producers, like anything in the store and both bring them in, launch them, but also help them grow or accelerate sort of to the scale that they wanted to. So just with some of the brands that I know that you guys love, you know, brought in Purely Elizabeth almost 12 years ago to a single store, brought in uh, Hugh Chocolate and RX Bar and Athletic Brewing um, and Bowery Farming and all these things over the years, but then also worked with some really tiny producers who never wanted to you know, sell to more than five stores, or that was sort of the, their limit and max. So I got a really good schooling in what it took to make it as a consumer food brand um, or farm in some cases, and also just different sizes, scales, and, and different parts of the grocery store. So I sort of became a generalist across every category and it was a ton of fun. And over those 10 years, I very accidentally was sort of groomed for venture capital because all I was doing for a decade was working with entrepreneurs immersed in the startup food ecosystem and was very lucky to hopefully have built a good reputation where people were sort of like, if you're if you're launching a consumer food product, you need to know this woman, Ellie, like you got to get on the shelves at Whole Foods and she's who you go to. So that created this constant deal flow that I didn't even really know I had. So I very naively, when I was leaving Whole Foods, was getting recruited by, by all these VC firms and private equity firms. And I really didn't think I wanted to do that. That was not my initial path. I was a little averse to being an investor in, in some ways, just um, from how I considered it to be. But I thought, okay, I should take an advisory role with a venture fund so I can at least dip my toe. And I took an operating role running um, a co-packing facility, which for anyone on this podcast who probably doesn't know what that is, because it's um, a little bit of an obscure insider industry term, most food brands, most food companies and beverage companies rely on a third-party manufacturer to make the foods that you eat every day out of your your fridge or shelf. Um, and so what I found in my 10 years at Whole Foods is that all of these brands that were hoping to be the better for you or you know the the new modern version of what you used to eat, um, sort of those legacy brands, were having such a problem. They were reading, reaching such a bottleneck when they tried to scale with their manufacturing partners because so many of them in this country are super antiquated, won't scale your product with integrity, take shortcuts. So it was, it was the biggest problem over those 10 years that I saw that, that the food system was experiencing in trying to get better and trying to be uh, sort of the natural foods movement actually scaling. So ended up running a co-packing facility for 18 months, really good, grueling, stressful year and a half. It was, it was really hard to manufacture food well. I, can, I now have a little more empathy for why it was so hard for some of these um, companies to do that and was advising a venture fund. And then from there, had the chance to, to move over to that venture fund called Almanac for three years, get uh, as much knowledge as I could on the venture side and very quickly learned, oh, my skill set is really translatable to venture and specifically in food, mostly consumer food, but some food technologies, some retail. 
and um, and sort of learned everything I could and then got really excited about going out on my own to raise a fund, which we did last year. Um, my co-founder, Hallie, and I raised and closed our first fund called New Fair, Fair being F-A-R-E, like food. Um, we're a food specialized early stage fund. Um, we raised $20 million and now are, are investing out of that fund. So um, it's been an interesting, uh, a little bit unusual journey but feels like I'm doing the same thing I did for 10 years at Whole Foods, still just looking for great brands and founders and working closely with them. So let's rewind a bit because your job is a local forager at Whole Foods. Okay. I remember the first time I found out about you. It was from my friend Yasmin. She was the co-founder of Oh My Goodness, the granola. And she was always talking so highly of this woman named Ellie and like how sweet you were and how like you had such an important job at Whole Foods. And to me, that's like a dream job. Like that is sounds amazing. How did you get that job? And like, what did you you like? How do you like prepare for that in college? Like if someone (laughs) wanted to do what you were doing, like, let's rewind a bit with that. Like, how did you land a gig at Whole Foods? Yes. So you don't necessarily prepare for it, I don't think. Um, well, and I should say first, I totally remember Yasmin. I remember loving her and her mom. Um, yes. They're a very sweet pair. But it, this is what I sort of love to tell people because I think there's just an element, much like you, Rachel, from what I remember with your story, is like I was not on a path. I wasn't on a track um, career-wise. And, and or like, you know, sort of you do some things and then they don't work out and then you land in your dream job or you create it. So I, I was a media studies major in college. I was very interested in and thought I was going to go into production or editorial around sort of food, travel, lifestyle media. But then as I graduated from school and had zero job prospects, one, one of my friends read something recently where I said that they're like, oh, UVA, the alumni office must love you saying that in, <laughs> <laughs> in media that you graduated with zero job prospects. But that was on me. I just wasn't so, so focused on on my career and um and all of my friends were primarily either already on a consulting or investment banking track like that's sort of the world I was in and it, that I knew wasn't going to be for me so I moved home to Connecticut my summer after college and I I worked at a summer stand selling fruits and vegetables on the side of the road next to this fish market and I absolutely loved it like I'd just gotten my my BA I was you know probably should have been doing more serious things but I loved it. We were, you know, buying from local farms, which I loved, uh, merchandising the fruit and the produce every day, interacting with customers. And I had a lot of downtime. So I was reading a ton about the food system and about agriculture and getting, and, and it was the year that the Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan came out. And so that sort of started me on my journey of, of reading even more upstream and understanding sourcing supply chain. And, and I really I became very passionate about produce and about agriculture. So I moved to Boston with all of my friends who were investment bankers and, and uh, consultants. And I started working in a tiny specialty produce store that was part of a larger restaurant group and had just mixed jobs that whole year. I worked in their demonstration kitchen, doing some marketing and events. I worked on a farm for a month during September during their harvest to get that experience. Um, and so I really just... I was wandering for that year and sort of honing in on what I loved, what I didn't in, in sort of my short, you know, food experience. And I realized quick, pretty quickly, the restaurant industry wasn't going to be for me. I'm a morning person. I'm, it's just not my, my culture. Um, so that was helpful. And I learned that I loved 
being closer to to sourcing, but I probably wasn't cut out to work on a farm or to work for a nonprofit. Like I had also had a a stint there and I realized, okay, I want to work for a for-profit company that is mission driven and obsessed with food. And so Whole Foods was like the gold standard at that time. This is 2007, 2008. Um, And I I literally applied to a store um, called by their website to be a marketing team leader. I didn't get my first job. Um, I now work pretty closely with the woman who did not give me that job. Um, She is at Made by Nacho, which we can talk about a brand that I co-founded now. And um, so I didn't get my first job, but they called me back about a month later and asked if I'd apply for another one. So I started in stores running uh, a marketing team back when Whole Foods did that years and years ago, almost 15 years ago now. And nicely, Whole Foods is has always been very focused on internal promotion and, and development. So I think I was identified early as hopefully high potential, high talent and, and moved pretty quickly um, to land the local forager job uh, a couple of years later. So I had been in marketing and and you could tell. So I sort of to answer your question, Rachel, I was as a marketing team leader and as something and then I eventually led to uh, moved over to regional marketing. I was really focused on our telling the stories of our suppliers always like that. People knew me for that. Like when you walk into a store that Ellie is overseeing the marketing for you're all you're going to see our local producer profiles and understand um, the narrative around where the food's coming from. So I was really dedicated to that. And then I knew that the local forager position was coming. So I told myself, all right, I have to get that job. What am I going to do to put myself in a better position? Because I hadn't had any buying experience. So I did a couple things. I worked on the weekends. I volunteered at Smorgasburg, which are these, um, you know, at the, they were tiny, yeah. like flea market food fairs on the weekends. And there was a bakery that I, you know, joined and like, they paid me in in kind with baked goods or something to help them on the weekends. Um, so I got that experience just to see what it was like to be a, a young food business. And then I asked or, or sort of got some really good, helpful guidance from um, a seafood buyer at the time at Whole Foods, like just a, a guy who'd been great to me over the years, who tried to train me as much as he could on procurement and buying. So I really just sort of put myself out there of like, I'm going to make myself known as I really want this job. I will do it better than anyone else. And I've had a lot of mixed experience. And so I, I think there was a lot of luck involved in that. But I think there was something to be said for I was very willing to be hands on, got my hands very dirty in those first like two years of my career. And um, having had that experience, like having had some of the chef vocabulary that I did from working in the restaurant group, from having worked on a farm and doing some of the the buying and merchandising of my produce jobs, um, I, I really had a mixed experience, a mixed bag. And then luckily was hired to this forager position, which was the bulk. Those were like eight years of my time at Whole Foods. And it was... Oh, wow. The, it really was the, the dream job. It was so much fun. And so interesting. I was like, every Friday I was on an oyster boat or in a chocolate facility. It was the best. That were you, cool. were you the only forager like in the country? No. So that that's the other thing to know. There were at the time in 2008. One of the cool things about the forager program is the reason it even got started is because John Mackey, the CEO of Whole Foods and founder, was 
on the debate stage with Michael Pollan around his book, The Omnivore's Dilemma, because in the book, he's very critical of Whole Foods for getting too big, being big organic, quote unquote, and for having abandoned their local program. And John Mackey took a lot of issue with what he was saying around big organic, but he said, you know what, you're actually right about local. I, I agree with you. And we're going to like, I'm going to show you that we're going to change that. That was in 2008 uh -huh. or seven. And they hired the first local forager in Northern California, a guy named Harv. Start, and this was the beauty of Whole Foods at the time. We were very decentralized. There were 11 regions around the country who operated really as their own business units. The global office had some jurisdiction, but not a ton. So each region, um, I was in the Northeast region out of New York to start. And we really had sort of all control of our um, three states and 50 stores at the time. So there had been maybe one or two other foragers before me, and then I was hired. And then we built out a network, a team of foragers. And then eventually I moved to the global team and oversaw that team of, of foragers a few years later. So you were like really on the earlier side of like the better for you movement in that 07, 08, like it probably wasn't even defined that way. Yeah. Now it's looking. I, I graduated high school in 2008. <laughs> like, I didn't even know. And, like, that's not like I'm not saying like an age thing. I'm just saying, like, I like, didn't even realize that this was an industry. And I thought that we were like early adapters in 2012, 2013. Like, wow, you really saw this coming. Yes and no. I mean, I, I just feel lucky for the timing because then you, you know, now, these days there are like no, so many. You hustle. Don't call that luck. <laughs> yeah, hearing your story. Yeah, I, yeah, no I did, I did hustle. I did hustle, but also without knowing what the end goal was, you know, or that's what I think yeah. is always sort of a, cause I hear from so many, literally this, at this stage, like high school students, let alone college students who are thinking about their futures, which I'm always amazed by. And I really was not, it wasn't so clear to me that this is what coming, but yes, I did hustle and I just worked really hard at getting experience where I thought it could be valuable and that I was really interested in. And I, and I loved, but but yes, I think was early in the movement. And you're right. I don't think people were calling it better for you then because it took the Sir Kensington's, you know, condiments of the world and Van Leeuwen ice cream and all of these things, which were all founded around that time, 2008. It was sort of like, you know, the last uh, moment of crisis and, and bred right. a lot of innovation. That's when people started to realize all these legacy brands need some new life to them and we need to be eating better. So yeah, I feel really lucky for the timing. And then how do you think it's really changed or what are some of the biggest changes you've seen since uh, 07, 08 in the food industry? Yeah, so many changes. Um, I think we say this a lot now at New Fair of what was considered exciting or I use air quotes disruptive um, during my years at Whole Foods, those 10 years is very different to what is exciting now. And in some ways, that's great. It's like, in many ways, certified organic or non-GMO verified in a simple ingredient deck is, is now just table stakes. I, I think that's what a lot of consumers expect and sort of take for granted. So that that is one thing that's pretty different is most of these categories have been innovated and do have the quote unquote better for you. So sort of to what you said earlier, Jordan, it's like, yeah, in 2008, better for you wasn't a term because there hadn't been enough products made. And then there were so many brands and right. products that were launched um, in consumer food to be the better version that I think that sort of created created that that term. But what's changed now, I just think it's so much harder to launch a brand now, both 
because of the saturation and the number of brands and products that have been launched um, since that time period, but also just because of omnichannel and how and what consumers expect that they can eat or try anything at any time in any place, um, you know, digitally or brick and mortar, you know, the COVID exacerbated that. So I think a lot of, of what has changed is how hard it is to make your business model work across e-com um, and brick and mortar and, and some of these alternative channels. And I, I think that the a younger consumer is just expecting a lot more in terms of what you're communicating, um, there being a founder story and a narrative. But I think a lot of that is for good reason. Like I, not cynically, but I just don't think that we need another water brand or another um, <laughs> like bar that's not doing much for you. Like we, right. we should actually be innovating and asking food brands to do more than they have done for us in the past. And then how does that translate to, you know, your investment thesis or the way you think about approaching brands or looking at brands through new fare? We think a lot about, I mean, we say this a lot that, um, you know, we invest in companies or brands that are redefining how we eat, access and experience food. And sometimes that feels a little lofty, you know, we're investing in snack food brands and, and whatever. But then I remind myself that if you look at the standard American diet and how people eat typically in this country, we are investing in the cutting edge of food products and and what, you know, very often what you guys are supporting and and talking about on your channels, I think is something that's really different. It's a different new way of for people to eat that is free from a variety of ingredients that that are simple ingredients that are not using natural flavors as a crutch, all of those things. So so we think a lot about just format and and how people and consumer behaviors eating patterns are changing like we watch as generations get younger and are spending more we're snacking way more we're eating more frequently so what does that mean for the eating occasion or meal size or format that you're eating from um we think a lot about food waste and solutions to climate um love go nanas for that reason and other other brands like them that are focused on waste utilization but not making it their main message we think a lot about um, experience when it comes to just like your digital engagement and and community and storytelling. That has become such a huge piece to how brands, uh, any consumer brand, but certainly in food that's so emotional, um, builds their uh, a loyal following and a loyal community. I saw we're invested in a company and brand called Midday Squares, and I had the chance to see them present this week at a conference. And um, one of the founders, Nick, was just so great. He he presents very well, but he just made such a point around. They have this brilliant marketing strategy where they've event- essentially made the three co-founders, a husband and wife team, and and a brother of the wife, uh, Nick, Les, and Jake. They've created a reality show out of their lives as entrepreneurs. They are followed with the camera crew everywhere they go. They share everything through social media and all of their other channels. And it's really endeared people to them and to their journey and their challenges and their struggles. It's been so effective. So we think a lot about that of like what's keeping people, not to mention they have an incredible product. I engaged. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the engagement piece is huge, which really like when I think about a Sir Kensington's 10 years ago or, or some of the other brands. I worked with very closely. They really didn't have to do that. They used had to use really traditional media. They were in stores building, you know, pallets and uh, and and major displays. But it was like a ground game in grocery retail. There was no digital 
aspect. So it, that's a huge, huge difference. And I think it's really affected both what we invest in, but what we think consumers expect or sort of require of, of their food brands today. We definitely agree with you on that. I mean, obviously, we're both investors in Midday and Amsam, which I think are probably two of the leaders in these earlier stage food brands that are just really making a splash on the internet. Absolutely. I'm so continuously impressed by what they do, what they get organically, you know, because they are, they're just like having, they're so creative. They're having so much fun. You know, Amsam with their last noodle launch hosting a rave is their like announcement party. It, it's just, it's so great. So I think, think marketing has become an even, it's always been such a huge piece, but it, in, a, in a new way and a really like specialized, um, always on way it's harder yeah i mean every time that we find a new product or brand that we're excited about like i don't even look at their website first i go right to their instagram now that i'm thinking about it and because i want to see like what they're doing like who's running this because it also will always have like not always but oftentimes the founder and then like you could see more about their story and who's posting about it like what do they have on their highlights what are you doing with it and when you brought up Sir Kensington's, it's like they were one of the first brands I ever partnered with for my Instagram and blog in 2015. Oh, wow. And at that moment in time is when brands didn't even have like a social media marketing budget at all. And now it's like you can't launch a product without being on social media. Like you have to be online. And there's a, actually a brand recently that I worked with that they're not on social media and it's like their thing. <laughs> and I'm like, that's interesting. Like, I, I can see as an individual not having social media for like those reasons. I'm like, feel like as a brand, like you're doing yourself a disadvantage to like not be on Instagram and like giving that story, which I find so, so fascinating. But brands like Midday Squares and Omsum, how are you connecting with them? Like, I think that's one of the questions that we get asked the most is, well, how do you find out about these products? Like, do they reach out to you? Like, do you, like, how does it work um, for, for your fund? Yeah, in, in both cases, I guess that's where the 10 years at Whole Foods was so great. A big part of my job or what I made a big part of my job was to make myself incredibly accessible to anyone. Um, and I've really tried to sort of maintain that. So I was lucky that for 10 years, if you're or eight years or however long people knew, all right, first in the Northeast, you need to go to LA to get your product launch. And then over the years, it just became more of a national thing and was lucky to have some, some media around the job. It, in the small world that is the natural foods ecosystem, I think enough entrepreneurs talk to each other and people tell you, you need to talk to this woman, Ellie. And that I've tried to maintain over the years. So a lot, a lot of cold outreach, and then a lot of intros through um, mutual friends or uh, other other brands, other investors. So with, with Midday Squares, I will shout out Kiva Dickinson, who introduced us. He was one of their earliest investors. He's the best. And he said, listen, I've, I'm, you know, I've either just made or I'm about to invest in this company that I think you need to meet. And they sent me samples. And I mean, truly, when I tried Midday Squares, I'm like, this will be the next bar. Like, yes. this is incredible. Yes. Their ingredient profile is so amazing. It's so exceptional for so many reasons. So I was very quickly absolutely love the product. And I hadn't yet, you know, I was like too busy and I hadn't yet looked at their social and then realized that they were doing something special. So we got introduced to them. And then with Amsam, I've known Amsam since their early, early days. They were initially launching a brand called Oxtail. And I cannot remember who first put us in touch, but someone asked if I would get on a call with them just for some advice. 
and they were looking to launch these meal kits that they were calling oxtail. And I honestly, I can't remember what advice I gave them if I even said anything about the brand name. But then, you know, a year or two later, they were launching Omsom. We stayed connected. So that's the other thing. I really try to build and maintain relationships early. Like we talk to a lot of brands that are too young for us and either be helpful or prove some value along the way, but but stay in touch to when they are in a place. Um, But so much of it is been around for long enough now and and make yourself accessible enough that it a lot of it comes through mutual friends. Do you ever reach out to brands or products? <sighs> I would say rarely. Like I can't I can't think of a time recently off the top of my head. Here and there. Sometimes it's yeah. more um it's different it's rather than consumer brands it's it would be technologies or um you know we're really interested in as I mentioned, sort of food waste and waste utilization, but even more so in the um, manufacturing and and tech layer, because we just think that every brand should be using upcycled ingredients, and that hopefully will become pretty uh, ubiquitous and and you know can be in every private label product and food service. So there are a couple of like we've been on the hunt for who's doing things that are really interesting in in that space. Um, yeah, I'm I'm trying to think if there are other brands, a couple here and there, like b- finding something that seems totally novel, maybe D to C only, they're not on shelf yet. Um so that that's happened. <laughs> you know, when you look at someone and you're like, "Wow, they are glowing. What is their secret?" And I can I please be let in on this ASAP. Well, recently I felt that way about my friend and I called her to see what the beep she was doing and she says to me, Rachel, you've got to try the collagen that I'm taking. It has changed my life. Now, I thought that liquid collagen sounded really gimmicky. It was overhyped. But I figured, hey, why not give it a whirl? Worst case, it doesn't work and I don't need to take it anymore. Well, fast forward to a month later and I am shook over the results. And if my mom, who tells me I look tired after I get a full night of sleep, is telling me that I have a glow from this, I'm not kidding you, you know it is legitimate. Now, the key here with taking liquid collagen is the consistency, like most things in life. Two times a day, every day, for they say at least three months. The average person sees results after three months of consistently taking it. I did after three weeks, so I can't even imagine what I will see in three months. I'm taking liquid collagen over powder for a few reasons because this question comes up all the time. Number one, it's easier for me to incorporate this into my daily life over powder. I take two tablespoons at the same time every single day. I don't have to mix anything. It's just drinkable. I don't drink coffee. I don't drink smoothies. So I stopped using collagen peptides because it was so hard for me to incorporate that into my diet. I also learned that powder has a 30% absorption rate and liquid has a 90% absorption rate. So that really won me over. I'm linking to the collagen that I'm taking in the show notes. You get 10% off with my link, plus more if you subscribe and save. It makes the most sense to do the subscription for two reasons. Number one, you need to give this three months to even know if it's going to work. So if you don't subscribe to it, then you're going to have to keep ordering after the 30 days because one order, like two bottles of it are for 30 days. I use the skin variety and I love it. It has a subtle taste of berry and it's really easy to drink. If you have any questions on this, let me know. I'm happy to answer them. And if you want to order it, you can find the link to my collagen over in the show notes. And now let's dive back into today's episode. I think like when for us, so with Midday Squares, I got sent the bars to us and 
we had reached out to them. I had asked three different people to make an intro for us to Midday Squares. And then I think it was Kiva's that finally stuck. And that's how we became... Like I stalked them because the second I tried the peanut butter flavor, I was like, holy shit, Jordan. I haven't been this excited about a product since Hugh. And like we were investors in Hugh as well. I'm like, we got to get involved in this. This is amazing. And, I, and then Jake FaceTimed you. Jake FaceTimed me and introduced <laughs> himself. I was driving to an appointment. I was like, hello. Like, oh what my gosh, I love it. So nice yeah. to meet you. Yeah. Um, but the upcycled movement, it's you know, it's interesting because I like don't I didn't really even know what it meant or like what the purpose was. And I feel like sometimes it's pretty ignorant of me. But a couple of our brands, like Seven Sundays, Rind, and then Go Nanas has something with waste. Like I, uh, I don't even know that. Basically using like Old bananas. Yeah, more as they're driving. It's a small oh, thing. Okay, but like they're, okay. It actually, more than anything, it helps their business of retailers love that it's encouraging people to buy old bananas. and, and yeah. Gotcha. So it's not that like, you know, solving the world's problems, but... <laughs> well, I was... And I just did a product a flavor collab with them this month. And I'm like, I don't know if there was like anything like that. It was, I was like, like, I just... I was trying to figure out in my head like, what, <laughs> yes, what it could no. have been. A little bit more more straightforward, oh, but but still, so. I love love what they're doing. Yeah, no, they're amazing. Yeah, no, the I mean the upcycle thing is is huge. My I always get concerned though with some of these movements. It's like, are people actually doing enough to get, like, actually see results, or are they just using the terminology because it's it's like a a hot topic? And I think that's where when we've been talking to these upcycled brands, it's like really understand like what they're doing. To actually make a difference, less so use it as a marketing terminology, you know? It's always so hard to sort of suss yeah, that out. Um, I out. did see something in a spins report, like a data report around um, upcycled ingredients and, and the growth, but I found the growth to be very small and the scale of things. It was like, you know, last year, 3 million up to 12 million of upcycled ingredients, which, you know, on a national scale is very, very small. Very small. So, but I guess, again, that's where if there's more infrastructure and more available for brands, why wouldn't you use sort of what was otherwise going to waste inputs? And, and so we're interested in that. But I, I'm sort of with you that there hasn't been a brand yet where that's their whole promise that um, right. you've gotten really excited about necessarily. And then, you know, I think your whole philosophy and focus has been around food and beverage. And right, you're you're strictly food and beverage, right? And what you're investing into. Yeah, we're specialized. And, you know, I think as Rachel and I have been in this investing space for the last five years, we've seen a lot of like food investors now starting to move into um, like other categories. So maybe like chasing returns or maybe things are getting more interesting. So how, how do you, I guess, stay in your lane and what is the commitment towards food and beverage? Sure. We so so much of us raising new fair and the fund is built on passion and sort of personal conviction around the space. Plus, a, a really unusual um, road to getting here that that means that we hopefully see almost every deal in consumer food and um, have a knowledge of the space that makes us. I hope be even better at really um, understanding what's exceptional or sort of rises above. So there's there's that piece of of acumen. There's just a piece of we will always be focused on food out of um, 
interest and and pure passion. But the other piece is we're not strictly uh, investing in consumer brands. So about 50% of our fund is in consumer and the other 50% will be in what we call modern retail or four wall businesses, marketplaces, and some a bit more upstream in, in supply chain technologies. So what we require is just where we can still add some value. So when it comes to tech food technologies or supply chain tech businesses, if we can still somehow support or help accelerate the business growth, and very often that's in sales. So if it's a supply chain technology that needs a ton of young brands to be their business partners and be their customers, you've a great Rolodex in in us um, as new fair on your cap table. If um, you know, in terms of modern retail and marketplaces, we can still really lean in there and and help operationally. And a big part of our strategy in having the operational background is that we can lean in and almost de-risk our own investments, like help brands and companies avoid the pitfalls that we've seen so many others make just because we've we've done it before or been around. So that's a big part of it. And you know, it makes sense to me that. There are some excellent, amazing generalist consumer investors they want to see and look across every single category, are agnostic and are are investing purely on business model. Um, We love to co-invest with those teams and we love to be the first phone call that whenever so many of our partner funds that touch every consumer category, um, call us when they see something in food that they see is it think is interesting. And we love to be funder or those people who are strictly and only investing in food. And so we have a real perspective um, that is specialized. But there's also just an element of for risk and for our portfolio construction, we do invest outside of consumer as well, just because we think there's huge opportunity, both in terms of returns, but in terms of like solutions needed across the the value chain. That's interesting perspective on this, because when we first started our fund, great shit. We said we wanted to be like in the better for you space. And we didn't necessarily say food or beverage. And as you know, the months are progressing, and as we're becoming more and more involved in this industry, it's all it's like a constant topic of conversation between Jordan and I, because I'm very I'm like, not dead set, but I'm like pretty set in staying within food and Bev, a because it's just my passion. And I think it's like, like my knowledge, like if I look at a skincare brand, like I don't know how to tell you if that's going to be successful. And the perspective that I bring is pretty unique compared to most investors where I look at it from a consumer lens. And if I think something's going to succeed or something's not going to succeed, and Jordan looks at it from a different perspective. But we've got, like we've had a handful of brands that like you've been really excited about and like wanted to pull the trigger. I'm like, no, but I just like, I, I, I'm so like safe and at home in this category. But I always wonder like, should we be branching out? Should we not be branching out? Are we, is it bad to pigeonhole ourselves into this one category? Um, Cause you know, now when we talk to some of like our partner funds, they say that they're not doing anything in food and bath anymore. I'm like, oh, is so I this I was sort of struck by this. I was at um, Super Zoo, which is a big pet food conference in August, That's and so cute. Oh my gosh, lots of people can register their pets. So a lot of dogs, a lot of cats, and carriers. It's such a oh, funny. Wow. It's I. This is my first year going to pet food expos, and it's so funny compared to to human food, um, which are also a cast of characters. But <laughs> it sort of struck me that as I was walking around the show. 
I had a really hard time identifying what I thought was truly differentiated and exciting just by walking the show and seeing the floor. I could tell you a brand that attracted me, what I thought was interesting, but it really, other than some key attributes, it was really hard for me to truly assess, like, is this something new or different? If I'm watching Walking Expo West, which I imagine Rachel and maybe you as well, Jordan, now feel the same of like, it is, I, I can walk that show and come away with, I saw three things that were really interesting for these reasons. But what I think is really important on the investment side, and this is why it's great to have both of your perspectives and why we have always needed and have like just pure play investors on our team who are supporting as analysts and who are are looking at it very unemotionally without the operational experience because sort of the way that I look now at pet brands because we do also invest in pet is to say do like I basically need to see your deck I need to see all of your financial information I need to see everything to understand the value proposition versus in human food I have built over 15 years a real understanding off the bat of like is this exceptional or interesting or differentiated in the category just cuz it's like all I know and all I live and breathe and I imagine Rachel you might feel the same way but I so I well, I was sort of joking cuz I was at happy hour with a bunch of other investors. I'm like, I imagine that for most of these investors, they walk every show and feel the way I do in this pet food show. They don't really know. They just need to see the numbers. And I think it's really helpful and important to have both on a team. It's why so many private equity or venture funds have operating partners, have venture partners who have been on the ground, who have experienced and, and built brands so that you bring that vantage or like so immersed in, in the ecosystem. And then you've got to have the person who's an arm's length away, he was like, no, I just need to see the business model. <laughs> so it's probably a little bit of both. But I still think there's so much to be excited about in food. It's just that it's few, fewer and further between. Yeah, I think, you know, food has such a, like an emotional response when you yeah. eat it that like Rachel, and it sounds like you do have the same thing where like she'll walk expo and she'll zip through a whole row. And I'm like, like you even look at anything. She's like, oh no, we're good. <laughs> and I just like follow along. And because like I don't have that eye where she does, I think that's that's it's that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's totally. the hard part about expo is people want you to try their product at their booth. I'm like, you don't want me to try your product. <laughs> exactly. Like, why don't I take one of those to go? Yeah, I always ask for that yeah. to go. Um, so you started talking about pet, and I think you know, something that's super interesting about what what you guys are building and what you helped build was made by Nacho. So maybe talk about the brand, how you got involved with Bobby Flay and how you run that and also manage uh, New Fair. Made by Nacho is a really fun one. Um, it is my first and only so far foray into pet. Um, and, and the quick background, I mentioned this, but over 10 years of working with a lot of um, consumer food brands at Whole Foods, I also worked with a lot of chefs to launch their commercial lines. So Worked with Momofuku initially when they launched their sauces, worked with Blue Hill to launch their yogurts, Roberta's Pizza. Um, and so had a little bit of cred in that space. Um, so I, this attaches to the night I met Bobby Flay, I went to his restaurant Gato in New York City. He had still had that restaurant at the time. And quick funny story is that earlier that day, Walter Robb, who was my old uh, co-CEO at Whole Foods, had called me. This is right as I'd left Whole Foods. It was like a couple weeks after. And Walter had called me and said, Ellie, I'm doing a, a talk at the National Restaurant Association, and I need you to send me a video of your top 10 trends for 2018 food trends. I was like, oh, great. Thank you. I was like very flattered, especially at the time for Walter to call me. 
great. When do you need it? He's like, well, I need it tonight. I'm, I'm giving this talk tomorrow. I was like, oh my gosh. So this is like, as I'm walking into Gacho. So I walk in and I see that Bobby's standing at the bar and, um, he's like talking to customers. So I'm like, okay, I'll, I'm going to go introduce myself. So I do. And we, I know like people he's worked with very closely. I know his agent. So he sort of knew enough of me and he's like, oh, you're, I've heard about you. You're the woman at Whole Foods. I need to call. I am like talking to him and I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, if I could get Bobby to do a cameo on this top 10 food trends, like that would be the best thing ever. So he very nicely, I'm like, is there any chance you would jump on camera for this video I have to do for my old CEO? And he so graciously was like, of course. So we go into the Gato kitchen. I do my top nine and like Bobby jumps on camera and does number 10, which I then send to Walter like five minutes later and looked, you know, he made me look like such a hero. It was like amazing all in like the matter of an hour. So we were sort of fast friends from that night. And he said, he's like, listen, if I ever do anything in CPG, you're going to be my first phone call. And nicely, truly like a couple months later, I think he called with this idea around his cat, Nacho. Um, so Bobby Flay has been a lifelong cat owner, lover, has two cats, Nacho and Stella. Nacho's older is a beautiful orange Maine Coon cat. And at the time, this is five years ago, um, he, five or six, he had been thinking a lot about, all right, I've got Nacho. He's got 250,000 followers on Instagram. I'm getting pitched all these endorsement and licensing deals, which I'm never going to do. But I also don't really know what I should be feeding him. He's like, sort of felt a little ashamed of like, I think about food every day and I've never truly thought about his food. So he looks into it a bit and he's like, oh, you know, part of the reason so few people go into cat food is because cats are notoriously finicky. They're, they suffer palate fatigue, like cat owners can never get their cats to eat what they want. And so that has kept a lot of the innovation and the quote unquote humanization that had hit dog already to enter cat. So he calls me with this sort of open-ended question of, do you think I should do a cat food brand. It feels like there needs to be one. And I, I feel like Nacho could be this perfect like mascot or background player. So I loved it. I thought it was so interesting. And I called a lot of my friends who were investors and I said, what do you think about a, like a better for you cat brand or um, a premium cat food? And they all said, no way. Cat's too small. No one does it. It's too hard. Don't, don't do it. It's way too hard, which to me was very motivating. I'm like, that's great. That's exactly what I want to hear because there's actually a white space, you know, no, no right. one is. No, no winner. Right. And that was always my issue in human food. Like there was so little white space. There wasn't, you know, a brand I was necessarily going to launch because I didn't think that there needed to be one. So I loved that. It felt like there was an open market. I thought it was really interesting to have both Nacho's platform and Bobby's platform. And we started building the brand in the business almost five years ago. Or I'm sorry, it, we really started building five years ago. Yeah. And, and six years ago is when we met. So it's been really fun. I'm, I'm the co-founder in the brand. Very lucky to have um, been building it with him. And Hallie, who's my co-founder at New Fair, was with us from day one building. She's very much responsible for uh, the brand and the marketing elements of Nacho. Um, and I, I was sort of responsible for building infrastructure, hiring the team. And we always knew that it was going to be handed off. Like I... I knew enough to say I've not been in the pet industry and I, I'm not going to be a successful CEO of this business. So, but, but sort of built the fundamentals and, and handed it over. So it's been a really fun ride. It's been 
it's really interesting and amazing to have a platform like his at how much that can accelerate the growth of a brand. Um, we launched with PetSmart nationally in April 2021 when we did launch the business and D2C. And we're now fully omni-channel. And um, it, yeah, it's gone really well. I mean, it's had all of its like startup roller coaster ride, but it's it's been really fun and I've learned a ton. Yeah, we don't have much experience with cats, but one time that we were chatting with Kiva Dickinson, he's a he's a cat owner and lover. And he's like, made by nacho is like hands down the best cat food I've ever given. Um That's so nice. Uh, Kiva, what a guy. No. <laughs> Rachel is a little scared of cats. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's such it's so polarizing. People feel that that's the other funny thing about pet parents in general, but cat parents are incredibly emotional. And so what's been the best benefit is that we're cat only. So few brands are cat only and cat parents feel incredibly grateful that we <laughs> are only focused on cats. Like, it, you know, that's been a huge unlock. It's, it's pretty funny. Do you have a cat? Not now. I did grow up with cats and I love cats, um, but oh, not cursing. Okay. So you brought up a good point in that story, which was something I wanted to ask you. And we didn't even, we didn't even talk about this story. Why you never started your own food brand? Like, you know, it's almost like you knew, you know, too much. You're too involved. Like, why wouldn't you start your own company? Human food. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think about it a lot. And I do think it's, I, I know a little too much or that I... I've been so lucky to work with so many entrepreneurs and founders that have such a reason or a story. You know, Luke's Lobster, who I brought into Whole Foods over 10 years ago and am now an investor. He has life. He's like third generation lobsterman. That's a reason for him to own and operate Luke's Lobster. Um, people who are, you know, Akua Foods, who's, who's um, Courtney Boyd Myers, who's going after the kelp market and is really focused on both climate, but also discovered kelp as this, you know, superfood for her and did all these things for her in her life. So I think I realized and discovered through touching all of those entrepreneurs, like I love supporting a lot of them. I haven't found my one miracle that I, I'm going to like pour my life into. I, I think I'm, I'd am i rather support and help across the industry. And and maybe that would come in, in the future. But yeah, it's like, I, I know too much. Plus, I've really enjoyed um, having the chance to spread myself across uh, multiple brands. No, that makes sense. It's you, well, Rachel always gets the question, like, why don't I'm you I'm sure, food? yeah. And her answer is somewhat similar. It's like, I'm not just going to start it to start one, like, unless I have something that's needed. Yeah, but after I just did the Go Nana's collab and I saw the success of that in Got your juices just on. three <laughs> weeks, and like when they were sharing the success of that, I have Makes you had... Wonder. I've had but my I, wheels turning. I'm like, wow. Like, I don't, you know, I I was very hesitant on doing that. I did that because I'm an investor. I'm an advisor. I believe in their brand so much. I wanted to help support them. I don't do product collabs often for, I just think it's too much. And truly like the, there's no, like, there's not that much monetary value for me to yeah. do it and incentive. And it took a lot more hustle than I thought it would to really sell that. But when I saw that I could, I'm like, maybe I should consider that. Well, the one thing I would say just from the Bobby Nacho experience is like, wait until you actually have something like when Bobby first call, called me, I thought he would be calling about like a spice rub or a, a, you know, barbecue sauce. And I would have been like, Ugh, no, you know, no, thanks. Yeah. But yeah. he knew he's, he, he's incredibly savvy. Um, and 
he knew that it was actually something interesting. So you hopefully will find that and it will be, you know, worthwhile. Thank you. I'll obviously <laughs> consult your mind as, as we do. <laughs> and I guess just um, like a final two-part question. What advice would you give to someone who's like looking to start a food brand? And then what advice would you give someone who's looking to invest in this uh, food CBG space? Mm. Looking to start a, a food CPG brand, I would go back to just what we were talking about. Please only start something if you really think there's a need, if it's solving a problem. I mean, the most exciting uh, companies and brands for us today have some problem built into them of, you know, there's a really interesting, I, I, maybe I won't mention the brand because I'm not sure if she's out there yet, but met a woman who um, has sold two companies before, totally not in food and had a terrible time with her first son who it turned out had a, a really severe corn allergy. And as she started researching and realized this, that there are 124 corn derivatives that end up as ingredients in American foods. And so she's setting out to build a corn-free brand and first as an alternative to popcorn, but then sort of all of these other foods. Like that's really interesting to me. That's exciting. That's solving a problem that she she truly has. And we, so don't just start something to start something. Like it, it is not, uh, no one needs that today in America. There's way too much food out there. Like that's, I mean, that's my biggest piece of advice just because I yeah. see so yeah. much um, and that it's not going to be easy. I think because there was such a moment in food CPG where you're reading about these exits and seeing the buzz and the the glory, it, it is so hard to build a food business. I mean, any young business, but food is incredibly and especially grueling given temperature states and food safety and manufacturing it's not an easy road. So you really have to be ready for a years, years, years long slog and be very resilient. That was a huge part of what I learned over my years at Whole Foods of like, I needed to look for resiliency in the founders that we were bringing in and, and now in terms of um, who we invest in. Um, and so then to, to that question of uh, advice to someone who's investing in food CPG is, um, you know, Food is also maybe the lowest barrier to entry in many cases of a, a product line that you could launch. Like it's going to be a bit more difficult. Although this is so funny because you talk to different experts. I, I was talking on the phone with someone who was in fashion and they're like, well, it's much easier. Like the barrier to entry for apparel is super low. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, I, w I wouldn't have thought that at all. Like I, yeah. I think of that as being much harder than food, which is something you can, you know, make at home. And, but, um, but there is an element of in food, Product, yes, has to be incredible and hit on sort of every value proposition. But then team and founder, it almost over indexes because it is so hard. There have right. been a couple founders over the years who have said to me, like, the amount of work and effort and your intellect that you put into the food industry is never correlated or commensurate with what you get. But it's just like, it's <laughs> not... You, it's not like banking or it's not like another industry where right. you just work really hard, you do all the right stuff and you achieve. It's so many things can go wrong. Buyers move and change hands all the time. You know, it, it's really volatile. So I think you have to, especially if you're investing early stage in a food business, you have to be re ready for a ton of pitfalls, roller coasters, some downside. And for that reason, you have to feel really, really confident in the people you're investing in, that they're going to be able to weather that storm, that they're, that you really trust them, that, that, you know, it's like high integrity, 
um, people because I think it's just a, a really challenging both environment right now, but it's just a challenging industry. Awesome. Well, thank you, Ellie. This conversation Ellie, was great. Amazing. Where where are you um like located right now? I'm in Brooklyn in Dumbo. Um, we oh. work from a co-working space uh, called Soho Works. So oh, nice. I'm well, glad there wasn't. There is definitely construction outside. So <laughs> no, we didn't, we didn't hear much. Though. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I would love if you could t- tell every um the listeners where they could find you and learn more about your investment thesis and follow along. All of your like, I don't know. It's like you are always knowing the latest and the greatest. And are you active on social media? Oh, gosh, I should be more active on social media. I, I'm I'm fairly active you. on LinkedIn because I, it feels like it's part of my job. Um, so okay. I, I'm Ellie Truesdale on LinkedIn. If if you're in the like the professional world, I am on Instagram as Ellie Truesdale. Not terribly you active. Don't post. <laughs> I just I don't I post never look <laughs> You'll find a bit of my my little babe, but she's like outdated now. Um, oh my God. She's adorable. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not crazy active, but would, would love to be in touch with whoever. And yes, you can find me through Instagram or LinkedIn. Oh my God, your daughter. So what's her name? <laughs> this is Cora. Um, she's now like 20 months. So she's older than that now, but yeah, she's a little cutie. I love it. I love that so much. Well, thank you, Ellie. Thanks, Enjoy so. the rest of your day. We'll talk soon. Thank you guys. 